This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have a very special guest on the line. It's Regent University Law Professor James Duane. How are you doing today? Great, thanks. So, in the last couple of weeks, I feel like the entire country has been talking about this case, the Stephen Avery case, the, the murder trial, and we've talked about it quite a bit on this show. Um, and so there's a lot of discussion about legalities and and um, how to talk with the police and are the police corrupt? And, and we've been having conversations in society about these issues for a while now. Um, but I think that this case has sort of reinvigorated some of that. And now... There's a video that's been dubbed, you know, Don't Talk to the Police, a lecture that you delivered. Can you can you tell me a little bit about this? Because it's it's gone viral in recent days. Sure. It's a talk that I gave at Regent University Law School a few years ago when we had some visiting students who were coming to look at the school. I thought I was trying to give them a taste of a law school classroom experience, and I decided I would talk to them about the Fifth Amendment because I knew from experience that that was a subject that was really pretty, really pretty poorly understood by the average guy on the street. We know this because it's too easy, uh, frankly, you know, for the for the police to induce um, suspects into giving up their right to remain silent and talk. And it's also more easy than it ought to be at trial for jurors to be duped or deceived into thinking that they ought to hold it against the defendant or suspect that he must be guilty of something if, in fact, he chose to exercise his right to remain silent. So I made the video for the same reason that I'm happy to talk to you, to make sure that future criminal suspects and future jurors understand that that simply is not true. That the Fifth Amendment is written for the benefit of the innocent just as much as the guilty. It protects them both because both guilty and innocent people can easily get themselves in significant legal trouble when they agree to get waived their right to remain silent and talk to the police. Have the Supreme you... Court has said so, uh, by, by the way, many times. The Supreme Court has said repeatedly. That I don't want your listeners to write this off as the liberal rant of a typical criminal defense attorney, which is what I am. I'm a law professor, but I also practice criminal defense work. It's the Supreme Court of the United States which has said repeatedly over the last 50 years, or more than 50 years, that the uh, Fifth Amendment protects the innocent because even innocent people who tell the truth to the police are often astounded to find that they've just made the biggest mistake of their life, that they've just given the police information that can, in fact, be used to help convict them of a crime that they did not commit. It actually happens all the time. And that is, that's unfortunate to me. Like, you, you want to have faith in the system that the system is always going to be right, but I guess human beings run the system, and so you're going to have those errors. But you would assume that if you talk to the police and you're honest that that you could be vindicated in that case but have you seen clients have you seen people who i mean you you just alluded to this who have done that they've gone through that process they've said hey we're going to waive our rights we're going to talk with you because we didn't do this and then end up with major penalties and being accused of of guilt after that certainly yes i think probably every criminal defense attorney can tell you that they've had personal experience with cases like that and even people don't have even those who don't have personal experience even lawyers People who are not lawyers and know this because we see it in the newspaper all the time. Hundreds of people have been exonerated by DNA evidence and other conclusive evidence of innocence and released from prison. You see it how often once a month in the paper, some poor individual who's been, tragically, they're far too often racial minorities, who have been sent to the death penalty, to death row, or to life in prison, and after 10, 20 years there, we find out that the guy was innocent, and we let them get out. And we apologize to them, we, we, we act like we're really serious about trying to make sure it never happens again, but we really don't do enough to make sure that it doesn't happen enough, that it doesn't happen again. Do you think the system, I, I've heard a lot of discussion about how people are treated when they're accused, that 
you know, and, and one of the claims is that many times people are treated like they're guilty the whole time and the whole goal is to figure out how they're guilty and why they're guilty rather than giving people a fair shot. You know, when you look at your experience in law, is that an idea that you would embrace or do you think it's a mixed bag? I mean, how would you look at the overall system in, in light of that question? Well, part of the problem. Part of the problem is that police officers, prosecutors, judges, jurors, all the participants in the process, well, they're only human. <laughs> and you can't hold that against them, but they are. And that means that they're subject to all of the same vicissitudes that, is, that are built into human nature. And one of those problems is the natural desire for closure, the satisfaction, psychic and, psych and psychological, that, that comes when we think that we've solved the case. And that creates a problem. That creates a built-in impetus to try to convince ourselves, all of us, that we've got the right guy. If he's the only suspect that we can possibly locate, it, there's a natural human tendency on the part of most participants in the process to try to convince ourselves that maybe the case against him isn't that bad after all, or, or that the case is even stronger than it first looked at first blush. It's not unusual for victims and other key witnesses in criminal cases to say, I think that's the guy, with a little bit of hesitation the first time they see the defendant at the lineup, and then by the time we get to trial, they're saying, yep, there's no doubt about it in my mind. I'm 100% certain. This has happened again and again in the cases of innocent people who were actually convicted and later proved to be innocent. It happened to Ronald Cotton, for example, just to give you one, uh, not a client of mine, but a famous individual, a black man, who was falsely convicted down in North Carolina for a pair of rapes that he did not commit. And one of the key witnesses against him, one of the two victims, uh, actually did not pick him uh, or his photo the first time she saw it. She actually said, no, I don't think that's the guy. But by the time of the trial, she's saying, yep, I'm 100% certain there's no doubt about it in my mind. The jury doesn't understand the way the, psycholo the these psychological processes and how they can distort the, the confidence level and the accuracy of the participants and the other witnesses in the case. And they found, they had no trouble convicting the guy. As long as the witness shows up or the victim shows up by the time of trial saying, yep, no doubt about it, I see that guy's face in my nightmares now, there's not much a criminal defense attorney can do on cross-examination to, to shake that kind of testimony. What... <clears throat> What would you say? What What does somebody do in your your advice for somebody who they get a knock on the door, the police are at their door, and they want to come in? What What is your advice? And, and I know it's a very general scenario, but what would you say that that person should do to to ensure that their rights are protected? Well, just as Nancy Reagan would advise you, just say you no. Know. I'd give that individual the same advice, by the way, the police officers give to their own children. I've been all around the country lecturing about the Fifth Amendment in the last few years. I've spoken to thousands of lawyers, college students, law school students, advising them why you shouldn't talk to the police, even if you're innocent, especially if you're innocent. And everywhere I go, I, I, I meet students in the audience who tell me, you know what, my mom is a cop or my father's a police officer. My mother's a prosecutor. My, mom, my dad's with the DEA. And they all told me the same thing when I was just about 10 years old. They say, if you don't ever talk to the police, this is what they're telling their own children. And your listeners, by the way, can check this out. They can call me on this and verify it for themselves. If anybody listening to this broadcast has a close personal friend who is involved in law enforcement, uh, not somebody you kind of know because they won't tell you the truth. I'm talking about a cop who really is a good friend of yours. You ask him privately and say, off the record, would you let your kids talk to the police? If they called you in the middle of the night and said, hey, Dad, I just got picked up, they want to ask me a couple of questions about a shooting, they say that I'm not a suspect, and, and I'm not guilty of anything, Dad, is it okay if I talk to them? Not one cop in a million would go back to bed and say, yeah, go ahead, if you're innocent, you go ahead and talk to them. No, no way. The police and prosecutors all over this country, all day, every day, are telling their own children, don't let the police search your car, don't let them into your apartment, don't waive your rights under the Fourth Amendment, and don't waive your rights under the Fifth Amendment. So that's my advice. You Getting can turn them question. away. You can, can if they don't have a warrant and they come to you. Can you say no? You can't come into my apartment. That's correct. 
and then they would have to go and try to figure out whether or not they can get a warrant or, or whatever. Um, it's not about... Well, yes, I mean, there are, I don't want to sound unrealistic and naive. I mean, I don't want some of your listeners to think that I'm stupid enough to think that if you tell the police, no, you can't come in, they're going to walk away and say, oh, well, we tried, because that's not the reality. Yeah, that's what they're supposed to do, but we all know that there are, now and then, occasional dishonest cops, rogue cops. Hopefully, we hope and pray that there's only one, you know, only one in a million would do such a thing. But there is a possibility that if you say, no, you can't come in here... A police officer who's too lazy to get a search warrant or who knows he can't get one may well be tempted to lie and just come in anyway, force his way in and maybe use physical coercion if he has to in light of the judge and say, yes, you, he told me I could come in. There's the, that's the problem. Because they don't need a warrant if they can get your consent. And the problem is these encounters are not recorded, generally, unless you're recording them. And some police officers, hopefully not many, but some have been known to lie to the judge and say, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't need a warrant, judge. I asked him if I could search the place, and he said, yes, you can come in. And then you swear to God on, a, on about the Bible. That's a lie, judge. I did not say that. I told him you cannot come in. But, it, but your fate is in the hands of the judge, because if the judge believes the police officer is telling the truth, he's going to say, well, the search was failed, the search was legal, they could use whatever they found, uh, because I find that, that they did have your consent. And there's no way you can conclusively disprove it. It's one of the tragic... One of the tragedies is that here today, that in the 21st century, when it would be so easy to require the police to record every conversation and every encounter with every individual, uh, we're moving in that direction. More and more police officers now are wearing they're, – they're putting cameras on the dashboard and they're wearing cameras on their – but not all of them. And they're not obligated to make a record of this. Even to this day in the 21st century, if, if a police officer walks into court and says to the judge, Your Honor, he gave me a confession. I didn't have a recording machine with me, but I can tell you what he said. Or he gave me his consent to serve the apartment. I didn't record it, but you can trust me when I say so. It blows my mind that in this day and age, we routinely allow police officers to testify to such crucial details about people allegedly waiving the most precious constitutional rights without requiring that these things be simply videotaped, which would be an easy thing to do, of course. <clears throat> now, in, in your view, you really shouldn't talk to a cop unless you've got a lawyer present, right? Uh, that's correct. I mean, there are... Again, I'm, I'm, yes, in the context that you described a minute ago where they come to your house without warning, they knock on the door, and it's all been set up and scheduled by them. That, I mean, obviously, if you're the victim of a crime or if you're a key witness to a crime and you've got information that you might be able to share with the police, you call them and you want to, or you want to get their help with an emergency situation. There's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong at all. That's why the police are there. Right, exactly. But when they come to you and say, we want to ask you some questions, and this is, by the way, not just true for the police. It's just as true for every government agent, anybody who works for the government. Anybody involved in law enforcement, if they say they'd like to ask you a couple of questions, if you wouldn't mind, just to help you clear a couple of things up, you got to say no. Say no, thanks. Not unless I can get a lawyer here. I'll be happy to talk to you perhaps if I can have a lawyer, but uh, let's get a lawyer here first. That's the way to do it. The, and why do I give you that advice? I mean, there's so many reasons. I, uh, I've written a book, actually, that's coming out in just a couple of months through Amazon is publishing it. Uh, Amazon Publishing will be releasing this book in just a few months, and I, I strongly recommend, of course, I am the author, but I strongly recommend that you and your listeners take a look at that if they want to get more examples and a lot more details. Part of the problem, though, is that you have no idea what you're up against. If you agree to talk to the police, it's like you've gone over through the looking glass, like Alice, to a world where nothing is as it seems. Police officers are not required to tell you the truth about anything. And quite the contrary, they are taught at the academy to lie to you about anything they want to lie to you about as long as they think it's likely to get you to talk. And they're very good at it. They'll use coercion, some of them. Uh, they'll use deception. They'll use promises of things they have no intention of keeping. They will misrepresent the nature of the charges and, the, and, the, and what you're up against. 
it's it's absurd to think that anybody in their right mind under those circumstances would ever agree to do such a thing. And by the way, to make matters worse, if you lie to the police, or they think you lied to them, even if it's your word against theirs as what you did or did not say in a conversation that was not recorded, you could be prosecuted for the separate, separate criminal offense of lying to the police. In federal court, if it's a federal agent that you allegedly lied to or gave false information to, you could be prosecuted. It's a felony, carrying a possibility of being thrown into prison for five years if you allegedly said something to the police that wasn't true. So when you agree to talk to the police or some other government agent, it's sort of like playing some twisted, corrupt, sick game of, of cards, like poker. Imagine playing a poker game where the rules said you had to put all your cards on the table, and the other guy didn't have to put any of his cards on the table, and he got more cards than you did, and he could lie to you if he wanted to do so about what cards he was holding in his hand. That's about how extreme the disparity is between you and the government if you agree to talk to them. This is fascinating. When you have your book come out, we definitely want to have you back on. We want to have you talk more about this. I think it's an important issue, and again, it's not about being anti-cop or anything like that. It's about It's about the protection of one's rights, you know, um, yes, of course, and I think that yes. I think that is the most fascinating and important thing that we really don't. A lot of people don't know because they just don't hear about what their rights are, and you're afraid, and so you you speak out. And I think uh, you you've spoken to a very important issue today, and I appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. I'm glad you, you can, and I want to just heartily reaffirm what you said a minute ago that it really isn't about uh, being <laughs> against the cops. I have no personal resentment or animosity toward the police. I'll be the first to confirm that you and I, everybody in a free society like ours. I was a great debt of gratitude to these people who risk so much. They really do. Uh, literally, life and limb for the benefit and the protection of our liberties and our property and our lives. They deserve the highest degree of respect and gratitude for the way in which they labor mightily day and night for our protection. But <laughs> it's not the personal. You don't want to cooperate with them if there's any possibility that you may be the suspect in a criminal case. And by the way, tragically, you can't believe them when they tell you that you are or that you aren't. Sometimes what they'll do, if they want to get you to give information, they will mislead you and they'll say, well, we don't intend to prosecute you. We, we know you weren't involved in all of this. We know that you're not guilty. No, we're thinking actually about using you as a witness against some of the other guys. They'll approach a frightened teenage kid in the middle of the night and they'll say, we're, we're investigating a shooting that took place over at the high school last night. Uh, we know you weren't involved, they'll say. And by the way, it's a lie because they really think he was involved. But they'll say, we, we, know, we wonder whether you might know something that can help us find out about the killers or the shooters. Uh, but we don't intend to prosecute you, which, by the way, is also a lie, and they know it. Sometimes they'll misrepresent. They'll say, we want to help you out when they have no intention of helping the young man at all. And this kid, he, fight, he falls for it. He takes the bait. He hears them make these promises. He thinks that he's got nothing to lose by cooperating. And then he says to them, yes, it's true. I was there. I know a little bit about this. And I can give you the names of some of the people. I saw a couple of the people with the gun. And one of them is a friend of mine, he volunteers, foolishly, which, by the way, let's assume is true. None of this is a confession. None of this necessarily proves that he was guilty. But now he's just put himself at the scene of the crime. And now he's just admitted that he was a friend of one of the people who actually was involved in the shooting. Uh, those facts by themselves will not be enough to get this kid convicted, but we're close now because now he's already given uh, so much information to the police that it won't be easy, it won't be difficult at all for a skillful prosecutor to fill in the gaps and to persuade a jury that, of course, he denied that he was actually involved, but we've got other circumstantial evidence to help persuade us that he was actually involved and he knew it all about it all along. The prosecutor will then say to the jurors in closing argument, do you expect us to believe it's just a coincidence that a totally innocent kid just happened to be there where by the sheerest of coincidences, someone who was a friend of his happens to pull out a gun and shoot somebody and he wants you to believe that that's just a coincidence. Well, you know, the jury falls for it on a regular basis. 
because to them it sounds so persuasive. Because jurors are not statisticians, they're not trained or particularly skillful in thinking about probability and statistics. And the problem for this poor hapless defendant is that he may well be innocent, but to the jury he looks so guilty because the jury is not generally capable of understanding just how very likely it is that this kid really might be the victim of circumstantial evidence, victim of coincidence. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, we definitely, we could probably go on for another half an hour, and I want to do that when your book comes. I want to make sure we have you back, because I think it's an important issue. And again, it's one that we don't we don't think enough about, so I appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Church boy.